0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Elizabeth Daly is a 20-year-old student at the University of Virginia. And a couple of weeks ago, Elizabeth and a few of her sorority sisters went to a local supermarket to pick up um, some supplies for a sorority fundraiser they were having. Her friends were in the car. Elizabeth got out of the car, went into the supermarket... <laughs> Got a 12 pack of sparkling water, a tub of cookie dough, and a pint of ice cream. I don't know what kind of ice cream. I'm guessing Ben and Jerry, Chunky Monkey, or something like that, right? And so, anyway, she makes her purchases. She comes out of the supermarket, back to her car. She gets in the car. And as she does, she sees um, four or five men who are coming at her car. And they're holding something in their hands, and she's not sure what it is. And so, she starts the car feeling a little panicked and, and uncertain. And as she does, one of the men jumps up on the hood of her car and another pulls a gun. And her friends who were in the car said, they have guns, go, go, go. And so she just out of sheer panic and reaction hit the gas pedal. The guy goes flying off the hood of her car. She pulls out of the the Harris Teeter or Piggly Wiggly or wherever she was and she's driving down the road and she grabs her cell phone and she calls 911. The 911 operator listens to her call and is hearing something out of, their, out of her other ear about another call she realizes what's going on she says to a young Elizabeth um, the men who were at the supermarket are with the Virginia um, alcohol beverage control, you need to pull your car over and a uniformed police officer will be there directly so she pulls her car over, the uniformed patrol arrives as do the guys from the Virginia ABC they are not happy when they approach the car. They take these three young women out of the car, place them all in handcuffs, and begin to search through the car. Apparently, they discovered that what one of the officers thought, thought was a 12-pack of beer purchased by an underage teenager was, in fact, a 12-pack of water purchased by a 20-year-old. <laughs> Apparently, she was of age to buy water. Um, but they uh, they arrested... Um, Elizabeth took her to the jail in Charlottesville, kept her overnight, charged her with three felony counts one of eluding police officers, and two of assault on police officers. It carried a five year prison sentence, a $2,500 fine. In the morning, prosecutors went over all what had happened, came to a conclusion that she had actually done nothing wrong, and released her and dropped all the charges. But I couldn't help but to think at how the ambiguity of the way that the officers were dressed kind of led to a terrible misunderstanding. Somebody could have been seriously injured. Poor Elizabeth had to spend a night in jail for buying a pie to chunky monkey. And um, and all the terror that she and her friends went through because of that. A little bit of clarity, a little a little bit of, of certainty in the in the uniform would have helped clear up all sorts of ambiguities. Uniforms are helpful in a lot of places, aren't they? And I thought about how a uniform is not just helpful in identifying yourself to others, like a police officer or a firefighter or whoever. But uniforms are helpful in a lot of ways that help the one who's wearing the uniform as well. A priest wears a collar. It tells people, hey, I'm a priest, and so I walk into a, um, a hospital or a bank or wherever and, and and people come up to me and they'll, they'll talk to me and and you know it's amazing the conversations that, that you can have in, in those places will you pray for my aunt, my sister so what, what you know so and but but also, every time I get up in the morning and put on a black shirt and a white collar, it's a reminder to me. I mean I get up and put it on and I think to myself, I'm yoked with Christ. Now I am, whether I put on the shirt or not, right? But it's a reminder every day that I go out to me, personally, Joe, and and to others who wear it. Look, we have a mission, a vocation. How you dress, the uniform that you wear, reminds the wearer as much as those who see it. A, A physician puts on a lab coat. She walks into a to see a patient. The lab coat reminds the patient that she is their physician, but it also reminds her. It reminds the physician to be somewhat clinical, uh, to be uh, objective, emotionally detached, at some, not unsympathetic, but, but objective in looking at this person as a, as a physician looks at a patient. Or a judge who puts on a robe. The robe reminds the judge, or reminds the people there, that the judge is impartial, but it should also remind the the one who wears it that she or he is to be impartial as they look at the case that's before them. And so so the uniform, in many cases, isn't just to identify one in in the world. It also is a reminder to the one who wears it. I think this might be the reason that St. Paul uses the language of clothing to, to talk about how Christians ought to live in the world. In the book the letter to the Colossians, he spends half of the letter writing about about the magnificence of God. It's, it's all theology. It's about how, how Christ is the embodiment of the living God, that he is the very incarnation of God himself. There's this great Christological hymn in chapter one and so he goes on he talks about the great things that God has done, the way that God has worked to save the world. The way that Christ has has borne the sin of the world, the way the Holy Spirit has empowered the church for mission, he even talks about his own sufferings and says that my own sufferings are part of God's plan to advance the cause of the church in the world. So half the letter is all about theology, but he sort of sets us up. It's sort of a setup, you know, to tell us all these great things that God has done, so that he can make this subtle shift. And Paul does this in nearly every one of his letters. You could read the first half, almost always, half of it, and you'll see all this this magnificent understanding of what God has done in the world. And then he gets to this point where he says something like, Therefore, or so then. And here it is in chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, he begins. Or some translations have it, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Because of this, Verse 9 and 10, put off the old self. Put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. This language he says, put off the old self and put on the new. Strip it off. This old anthropos, this old humanity. And put on a new humanity. It, the, the words they use are great. They're, it's actually a, a metaphor to strip off, sort of like the way you do at the end of the day when you go in and toss your socks on the floor. I mean, you don't do that. I hear some people do. But, you know, you go in and you, you take off your clothes and you toss them on the, the bed or in the hamper or wherever they're supposed to go. I used to have an exercise bike in my bedroom, and it was a great place to put, uh, you know, dirty clothes and hang those all over. It wasn't so good for riding Anyway, but you would you know, throw all... Strip that stuff off, Paul says, and put on the new self, the new humanity. Uh, The word is actually great. It's it's what's called an aorist middle participle, stripping off and putting on. Both of these are aorist middle participles. A little technical here, but you know an an active verb is when the subject actually does the action, right? The boy hit the ball. Boy is the subject. Hits the verb, balls the object, right? The boy hit the ball. The passive use is when the subject receives the action. The boy was hit by the ball. But Greek has a wonderful middle. It's it's when the subject actually does the action and receives it at the same time. We would say in English, The boy hit himself with the ball. We would also say, Not very bright boy. But the idea is, you know, to to do the action to oneself. A long way around the barn here, though, to say this. Paul is saying, Colossian Christians, Hudson Christians, we have responsibility in this Christian life. Yes, God will do something for us. He does things for us. He is so good and gracious Gives us power that we don't deserve. Gives us grace that we don't deserve. But expects us to do something. To put off the old self. And put on the new. Well, that's fantastic, you say. Well, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. Because it's right here in the letter, isn't it? Chapter 3, verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above. Not on things that are on the earth, he says. Oh, the, the old King James is really good here. Set your affections. Put your affections on things that are above. It's actually an imperative. Do this. It's sort of like the way that you would command somebody. You know, to your child. You know, go get me a soda out of the refrigerator. You know, do. it's not really a question, is it? Paul is saying, set your mind on things that are above. Not on things that are on the earth. What sort of things are above? Well, you can deduce this from what the things that are on the earth, the things that he says to stay away from. Put to death, verse 5, what is earthly in you, such as sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Put to death those things. Think upon things that are godly. Well, what sort of things are godly? Well, the opposites of those, right? Goodness, gentleness, peacefulness, kindness, chastity. These virtues. Put these virtues to work and get rid of those vices. These are actual practical things that we can do in the here and now. This isn't relegated to 20 centuries ago. It's as fresh and new today as it was then. Put these things to death. Put these things to work. Think of yourselves as those who transform culture. William Wilberforce, who worked to the end of slavery. Charles Wesley, who taught the world to sing songs of praise to God. Mother Teresa, who worked for the the poor and the neediest people on the planet. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who showed the world that you can stand up to tyranny. You can give your life and change the world. This is the message that Paul has given us as well. That this is what the Christian life looks like. Put on these virtues. But there are more. Put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. Do not lie to one another. All these things that we strip away, all these vices that we get rid of, that we're meticulous about and we think about them. We actually say, you know what? I shouldn't do this, and I should do that. You know that little conscience that kind of rings in your head and says, yeah, no, 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 back up, don't do that. Instead, work for good habits. You know, a lot of this stuff is habitual, isn't it? Things that we can, that, that we just, be, well, you know, it's just the way I am. People say that to me a lot. Like, well, you got to understand, it's just the way I am. And I say, well, change. You, know, you don't have to be that way. You know, that, that's not the way you are. It's the way you've become. And I say it to myself. Oh, Joe, you can do better. You know, out on the golf course yesterday with the, the golf outing, he had a few really bad shots, and I would say to myself, "Joe, <laughs> you can do better." You know, this is not you know better. You know, and then I would do the middle thing, hitting myself with a club. You know, it, it, you can do better. Have, have this mind in you, Paul is saying, to think on godly things, think on things that are above. Stay away from life destroying practices. Stay away from those things that are destructive. If you're accustomed to yelling, stop yelling. If you're accustomed to fits of rage, stop giving in to them. Practice calm. Practice peacefulness. There's a, um, uh, I saw a picture the other day of this uh, 5K race in Michigan. Um, a few Marines went out uh, to run in a 5K race in Michigan. And one of them was uh, Marine Lance Corporal Miles Kerr. So he and a bunch of buddies decided they're going to run in a 5K race, and they decided to do it in fatigues. They wore their fatigues and combat boots, Marine Corps T-shirts, and they're out there running a 5K race. The Marines are pretty tough guys, so, you know, I guess they can handle it. I couldn't do it in a scooter. But anyway, they're out there on a, this race, and, and so this, um, this Marine Corps, uh, Lance Corporal Kerr, is running, and he looks down and he sees this little boy, this 9-year-old uh, boy, Bro, uh, Broden Folks. And he's noticed that the boy is walking, and he looks a little distressed. And so uh, the uh, Corporal curl looks down and says, You doing all right there, little guy? And, um, and the boy looks up to him and says, Well, actually, I, I lost my family, and um, I'm a little scared. He said, Will you stay with me, mister? And he said, Yeah, absolutely, you will. He said, Come on, let's run together. And so this little boy, nine years old, a bit distressed, not thinking he can finish this, this uh, 5K race, starts to jog. And Lance Corporal Kerr slows way down, and he stays with him all the way to the finish line. Someone along the way snapped a picture of this Marine corporal running right next to this uh, little nine-year-old boy. Uh, Lance Corporal Kerr finished dead last in his age group, so far behind that his friends were sure that he was injured along the way and went looking for him. But he finished the race with this nine-year-old boy, and this picture hit the Internet, and a couple of days, more than a million people saw it. And though he finished dead last, I think he finished first in a lot of people's minds. Because you know what he did? He brought honor to his uniform. He brought honor to being a man, to being a person of dignity, but he brought honor to that uniform as well. St. Paul says to us Christians, wear your uniform. Wear that uniform. Put off that old self. Put on that new self. And bring honor to it by the way you live. Because it matters. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.